Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Behind the Movement. I'm Kyle Fincham, and my guest today is Luke Davies from Back to Roots. Super excited to share this with you. First, though, I want to thank everyone who came out for the very first of the 10 Saturdays in New York City this past weekend. It was a very, very cold day, um, so it was a real... uh, epic and rock and roll crew that showed up and uh, we had such a great time. It was amazing. We got warm very quickly. So uh, can't wait for the the next nine. This weekend we'll be back out there. This time we'll be in in Williamsburg, Brooklyn and McCarran Park. Um, And then each week we'll be in a different park for these two-hour jams all the way through the winter, ending on March 19th. If you want to sign up for all of them, or just one or two here and there, you can go to my website, kylefincham.com, and all the information is available um, on the Infinite Play page. So yeah, excited to be here in New York for the winter, and uh, looking forward to seeing some some new and some familiar faces in the coming weeks. Uh, Also, I I published a, a blog yesterday, also on my website, called What's Your Message. Um, I think it's uh, uh, something we've gotten into a little bit on the podcast with different, uh, with different guests. So um, I took it a, a step further and expanded on some of my thoughts on the idea. So uh, you can check that out also at my website, and that's just on the, on the writing page. Um, yeah, those are my announcements. Those are the things that I've got going on. Uh, hopefully some, some more exciting things to share for the, the spring and summer that I'll be uh, putting out in the next couple weeks. So keep your eyes and ears open. Um, yeah, let's get to this. Uh, I got to speak with Luke Davies. A number of people recommended that I speak to him. Um, I've uh, watched from afar a lot of the, the things that are going on um, with the Back to Roots internship. So it was really exciting to get to speak with him directly about, uh, you know, how it came to be and, and what's going on over there. If you're not familiar with Luke and his work, let me give you a little bit of his background. Luke Davies graduated from the Welsh Institute of Chiropractic in 2015 and started an innovative rehabilitation and healthcare company called Back to Roots in 2016. Frustrated by the chiropractic profession's traditional model of care, Luke teamed up with Paul McCambridge to create a company that marries up evidence-based practice and holistic health care in a person-centered way, greatly inspired by play. In 2017, Luke and Paul started guest lecturing at the University of South Wales, and over the passing years have had greater impact at the university with Back to Roots Methods, with Paul now being course leader and Luke lecturing weekly in the third and fourth years of the course. Luke has and still mentors healthcare professionals and trainers in the Back to Roots approach and has spoken internationally on the topic of exercise adherence and musculoskeletal rehabilitation. Luke, Paul, and the Back to Roots team have been running CPD events around the world for the past five years, receiving British Journal of Sports Medicine and Exercise Sports Science Australia accreditation. Back to Roots created Pain Clinic 
a 12-week management program delivered via the Results Wellness Lifestyle app, which is also undergoing trials for approval to be accessible on the National Health Service here in the UK. Luke has also competed, uh, uh, excuse me, Luke has also completed a sports exercise science degree and has a vast interest in exercise from rugby to weightlifting to gymnastics to dance, boxing, capoeira, and strongman, just to name a few. At the time of writing, Luke has led two sold-out Back to Roots internships with Samantha Emanuel. Here, they bring leaders of the field of movement, fitness, rehab, and evidence-based practice into one community inclusive of coaches, physical education teachers, dancers, fighting monkey teachers, physiotherapists, chiropractors, occupational therapists, exercise physiologists, strength coaches, and students of all fields together to experience thought, uh, thoughtless, fearless, relaxed movement and to prescribe it and how to sell it. That's, uh, that's Luke's bio. It was really a privilege to, to get to share this time with him and uh, hear more about what he's putting out there to the world. And uh, I think it's valuable. I think it's interesting. Um, and I'm looking forward to uh, having an opportunity to, uh, to potentially get in on the internship myself, potentially for the, uh, the September run. So let's not waste any time. This is it, my conversation with Luke Davies. It's something that's been an interesting, uh, an interesting part of my journey in particular is being a chiropractor and in creating Back to Roots, which is I'm sure what we'll, we'll end up talking about is that we are uh, very much black sheep within our, within our profession, gone a different route to what would have been the paved one mm-hmm. to be able to work the way that we do so. You know, it's something that some people think that we're maybe anti-manual therapy or anti-traditional um, healthcare, et cetera, which we're not. But some people take offense to, to, maybe, to maybe new or alternative things. So, Yeah, well, I think that people, um, people, there's a lot of like the or mindset. It's like this or that. Yeah. When I think that we really benefit when we kind of inhabit the and mindset. I always think of this conversation I had with a friend of mine and he practices Chinese medicine and I had bit, I had been bit by a tick. So there was a good chance that I had Lyme disease because it's in upstate New York. So the doctors were like, Oh, you need to hop on an antibiotic because we caught it really quickly. You should do this thing. um, Because you don't want to be getting, dealing with Lyme disease. And I called my friend who practices Chinese medicine. I said, Hey, you know, what do you think of this? And he said, when did you get the bite? And I said, Oh, like two days ago, you know, I've got the big bullseye on me. And he said, take the antibiotics now. And then after you're done with the antibiotic, talk to me and we'll put together some things that you can work on for addressing the, the effects the antibiotic had on your, on your gut. Exactly. So you didn't, you didn't polarize the the perspective and yeah. So win-win. Yeah. And it's, and it's the end. And I I remember talking to, to Samantha and, hearing some of the stuff that you guys are talking about. And it, it felt very much like this. And it's not the, or it's not the, it's not yeah. the, this thing that's totally 
you know, without definitions and without meaning and without kind of logic. And it's not this thing that's solely protocol based. It's kind of this like, well, how can they kind of dance and have a conversation together? Yeah. And that's, I mean, I mean, that's a, that's a, a nice way to put it because that's really what we've attempted and what we've been really influenced, you know, to bring two worlds together of an evidence-based practice and this holistic arts is often seen as polar opposites, but it, you know, what the evidence around, particularly where, where I come from as a, as a clinician is working with people for rehabilitation and extra pains really directs us to all this holistic package. So it then opens up and liberates for the different components that can be included within working with a person and the perspectives that you would take. So, you know, I try and stay away from really polarizing any perspectives. And, and I learned, I think, to stay away from really saying anything to too black and white to be able to hold yourself. And that's something I think from evidence-based practice is something that I try to do. And it's hard as a human, I think, for us to do is to be open to new information to maybe change something that I've say on this podcast today in the face of better information next week, I might contradict myself. Mm-hmm. And that's not an easy thing to do if you really pin yourself to a modality. For example, spinal manipulative therapy as a chiropractor mm-hmm. or a paleo way of living or whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, I tried to maintain an open-minded perspective, but that really brings us towards a, uh, I think, an open, an open-minded, uh, fluid, f- fluid perspective for for bringing things together. Mm-hmm. And what what was kind of the, I don't want to say aha moment, but what were where were where were kind of the places where you began to think like, oh, we could be adding to what's happening, or we could be playing this game slightly different than than what's been done traditionally. Well, I I, I think. The earliest it goes back was my one of my main my, my main journeys into becoming a healthcare professional was first and foremost through being an athlete and playing rugby and getting you know that was everything it was it was full time training playing it was I was playing international rugby as I said which was the main sport here in Wales up until schoolboy and then from the age of sixteen I had my first shoulder dislocation and. Between the age of 16 and 24, I had four shoulder reconstructions. And every single time that my shoulder would dislocate, I would go through the whole process of rehabilitation to be able to get back because I was doing my studies, um, sport and exercise science initially, and then uh, a master in chiropractic. So I was in university for nine years and playing was always what funded me to be able to get. So I keep staying in this cycle of, Playing rugby, big collisions, dislocate shoulders, do the whole rehab. And how many times are you going to run that process before it doesn't stack up to be able to go back and to be able to look at things a bit differently? And that was, that was for me, it was four shoulder reconstructions that the fifth one wasn't worth it. And at that point there, from being very much in the strength and conditioning camp, which I love, and I've gone another full circle because I'm sort of back where I'm at at the moment. Um, very much, you know, the deadlift, squat, Olympic lifting, bench press, all of these to be able to step back and say, right, is there, is there a different, is there another component that needs my attention? And that was a crossroads at about 2015. Yeah, 2015, I retired from rugby and then it was a whole immersion into a more of a movement practice, which is where I've probably connected with a lot of the, the, the people who um, 
you've had on this show and what have probably people associate most with Back to Roots at the moment? So, you know, some of the, 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 a lot of the tools you were talking about and kind of like, at least prior to, you know, as you went through the surgeries and the rehab and everything was, you know, highly strength focused. And then you say that you kind of like <clears throat> went through this other journey and now you're kind of returning back to some of those things, but again, with probably new lenses on, yeah. what were some of the qualities that you felt like were missing or being underutilized or under addressed that you kind of were like, how do I start spending time there? Definitely being exposed to things that I all of a sudden couldn't do. Okay. And so, so from being a young athlete and a person who I'm sure much like yourself from, you know, from growing up and it being all about sports and, and, and games and, and physical activity, P was the main thing that I excelled in in school as opposed to maths or anything like this, and then excelling and then getting very high up in sports and then all of a sudden being exposed by what who, by someone who become uh, a real leader for me and a mentor and is now uh, still a, a central part of back to roots paul mccambridge is a director of the company and now he is um uh, leader of the course at the university of south wales where we teach but he exposed me to things that i couldn't do simple things like training out of alignment as someone like Ida Portal would say and being able to all of a sudden instead of very linear pressing being able to move in a maybe more of a rotational pressing and being on my hands and all of a sudden the skill acquisition component of having to be able to do hand balancing or climbing or learning to be able to simply be softer so the, the what I found and what was a really big penny drop moment was the different approach that it would take to, for example, soften my body than it would be to chase a new PR on a deadlift. And it mm -hmm. took just as much work and learning and this appreciation of failure to be able to embrace that. And actually, I think that is something that is what I've carried with me now. And I think that transcends into relationships. It trans transcends into business. It transcends into so many things um, that adds to the fact that I'm back now and I'm, and I'm loving really heavy lifting again. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that I had shoulder instability and training and immersive for five years with gymnastic rings and hand balancing and movement culture and all these sorts of things. There's absolutely no doubt. I can't produce a study about over and above N equals one of myself, but mm -hmm. my shoulders have been absolutely um, incredibly incredible shoulders to live in since you know i know what it feels like to live with unstable shoulders mm -hmm. so that's um that's that's been one of the amazing one, one of the biggest things i think was the 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 transition to embracing failure repetition turning up practicing and problem solving mm -hmm. i keep kind of returning to to three words myself and they're the things that i always think and, and kind of like you when I say them, I'm like, well, in five years, they could change because it's, you know, five years ago, they're not the things that I kind of lean towards. But um, I always think of like creative, adaptable and cooperative and then things like strength and mobility and skills and techniques kind of falling underneath those. Right. Like if, you know, they to me, like these main qualities are these, you know, almost tr not terribly definable you know, but like through like our own kind of exploration of those yep. things, we either develop strength or we suddenly realize, oh, 
this could be a place where I could, where I could develop strength to help support being creative or being cooperative or something. Um, And, you know, it speaks to, 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 to life. I think in many ways, I think those, those words are kind of, to me, always capture a little more complexity. Whereas like um, the strength things, the things that we can always define or a technique that we can always define, maybe at best kind of capture kind of complicated things because it's just the best way that a human brain can like explain it in a pattern or something. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, what I think, I think to piggy off some of that as well, I mean, what I find when, when I retired from rugby, I sort of lost my identity and purpose for training. And in that time, then I had to re re-identify my, my own identity, my own identity into how I channel my energy and my time. And I definitely went through some, I definitely went through some, some mental health issues at the time. I wouldn't have had clinical diagnosis or anything like this, but all of a sudden, you know, you hear athletes and people who retire and then they get into, they fall into gambling and they have to replace what that was with something else. And I hadn't done that. And I think from a training perspective as well, the goals just, I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a deadline by a month's time to be able to get back into the team. I didn't have, the start of the season as the goals were all just laid out for you and what I found is that I had I had to find a way to be able to have my strength training and my training to have meaning and what I found in 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 exploring bodyweight strength training gymnastic strength training and uh, you know things like this was then taking up capoeira and capoeira was something that I was exposed to way back with Tom Wexler. I know you've had Tom on here. Um, and then I wanted to take that further so that then I found my, my closest master. And in terms of the harnessing of complexity and simplicity all in one beautiful cocktail is something that I found then gave purpose for me to go away and try and do my strength training is that it will almost become like a, re- a replacement for my games in rugby was it was a place to go and express the purpose of my training and and it wasn't training because capoeira is not competitive it's all about playing it's all about a, a relationship a movement conversation but it was definitely the 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 thing that i needed to be able to express a different type of training beyond just being in the moment which i know is also a really a really uh, it's a valuable thing to strive for to be able to do in of itself mm-hmm. um, and I've, and I've, I find working with, with people just getting into flow, that flow that you mentioned there before is something that is, is a real challenge for a lot of logical thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that, I think that ties in to, to the sort of the three pillars that you were sort of saying there and definitely complexity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you, you, you mentioned kind of being communicative, communicating. It's like um, there are qualities that I always think of that, they kind of require another. They don't necessarily work in isolation, right? Yeah. And and that's what you're talking about as well. It's like you train for you train, but then you go out and and express it or 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 experience it or play with it in certain ways. And to go out and do those things, it involves it involves another, either in a space or a person or an environment yeah. or or a music or a moment. And it, it asks it asks for listening yeah and that's and that's something that i still to this day when i when i when i try and look at all the different things that i've I've exposed myself to 
I, I haven't fattened and I'm, and I'm a, I, I love all types of physical activity, movement practices, and I haven't found anything quite as unique as capoeira in particular, because it's just, you know, Brazilian culture, it's not, there's nothing to do with my culture. It's not from, from Wales, but it's, you know, it, there's nothing that's, I've come close to as a one-stop shop, as a biopsychosocial, all-encompassing mind, body, spiritual practice, just even the fact that it has the inclusion of music. I mean, there's how, how many other things? One of, the, one, of the, one of the most wonderful things I think that capoeira gives a vehicle to is an entrance into music, that unless you're a dancer or unless you're a singer, which most people aren't, gives you, you know, I've, I've got my, my tambourine right here now. So just being able to just have instruments, be able to have little things to be playing on. I mean, these are the sorts of things that I've then tied clinical reasoning to because there's such a strong evidence base for things like music therapy, for anxiety, for depression, for these things that are so tightly bound to back pain and the, the most common presentations and the biggest burden to the world and reason people miss work is back pain mm-hmm. so again just we've sort of come around full circle here just but the, the 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 breadth i think of a spirit mind body practice of, of capoeira is is something that's that's definitely given me something that i have channeled into the the way that i approach not just myself but the the people that i help and the people that I've taught. Mm-hmm. Was there was there a period where you were practicing? I, I don't know how we would describe it, like more traditional physical therapy, in, in kind of like the protocol, like defined sense, or did you kind of dive in on your own into like this more, um, yeah, kind well, of playful way of approaching it? What What happened was, I mean, I graduated in 2015, and you know, I didn't have a, a lot of people go, and I don't know if you know a chiropractor, I don't know if you know a physio, I don't know if you know an osteopath. A lot of people become a chiropractor because their family member is one. They come up, become a chiropractor because they saw a chiropractor who managed to do something for them that would appear miraculous. And they wanted to then be able to train to do that. For myself, it was it was none of those things. It was based on, right, I've, I've had these injuries to stop me becoming a professional rugby player any further moving forward and I've done a small exercise science degree and I need to do something with my career I need to do something in I know it's something in health or fitness because that's you don't have to tell me to do that when I wake up in the morning that's just what I want to do it was based on the fact that I could live at home and go to Cairo school which meant it was financially possible versus if I'd have done physio just where that was I'd have had to get second funding which wasn't possible so for me to go into Cairo, I, where I'm coming out here is I went in completely open blank, open blank slate, didn't have any expectations about what it was to be a chiropractor. And f- fast forward five years, I graduated, still not really knowing. <laughs> <laughs> and, over, and over the period of that time, I saw a lot of my colleagues who were picking the different ways that they would go. There's a lot of, there's a lot of scope. But, after that, I become I had to become an associate, so I moved to London. So I moved to London to become to be a chiropractor because you have you know it's a big you're in a big financial um, commitment. You need to be able to make money, and that's the hard bottom line. Is you've got to find a way to be able to make money. So I t- took a job from a practice, my very first job in central London, um, with um, a chiropractor who 
who seemed from the outside to be mixing movement with chiropractor and I my, my background was being um in strength and conditioning and uh, and training so that was where I felt most comfortable than with my hands and worked there that's where I met Paul McCambridge and we were working the chiropractor was training us in functional neurology and um I have some apprehension about anything that has the word functional before it because generally it has um it means that it's in some way superior to to other things but um we were under pressure to learn to be able to help people in 10 minute slots and that was very much about impressing people it was very much about your charisma and how you could almost put on a performance to be able to also sell to be able to get people to buy your programs etc and this lasted for um for nine months i actually lasted there but after being there for uh about a month we was questioning how I many people are coming in and seeing our senior chiropractor we don't really know exactly what's going on can't explain it but when they come out paul who is uh, a very well regard well respected personal trainer in in london has been for 25 years he would move them around a little bit so they've gone in to see the chiropractor for uh for some manipulation and some functional neurology um, applied kinesiology and some various different things that again I don't want to offend people so I'm not going to go into too much of that I just it's not what I do um, and what we knew was we could make them feel good with doing a bit of movement for 10 minutes so what happened was people would be going in and seeing the chiropractor and then we would put on our movement hat and we would be the movement coach so then we'd have 10 minutes and they'd come out and we would say, hey, how do you feel? Let's get down, maybe do a little bit of crawling. Or we would find an entry to do a safe little bit of hanging. Just little 10-minute bites of movement. And this would generally mean that we we felt comfortable and that the person coming in would have not just 10 minutes passive care in the bench. They would have that and then they would also have 10, 15 minutes moving. And the senior went away and me and Paul then took over. So we were the chiropractor and the movement coach. So then we tried out this um, new approach that we were trying to do, which involved a bit of education, reassurance, not doing, not saying silly things and trying to fall on nocebic language, trying to be very placebogenic and being able to have honest conversations, but then get people moving, give them optimism and hope. And what we found was that people absolutely loved it. We stopped wow. doing we stopped doing unnecessary manipulations and a lot of people would be a little bit surprised by that. Some people, some people who were expecting what the senior chiropractor was doing, they were wanting that because that's what they bought. And ultimately this went on for a couple of months and it was, we were doing something very different to what the traditional chiropractic senior was doing, which was, ultimately only ever going to end up in a car crash. And it was not going to be in the interest of the patients. They were confused. They were getting different information from this perspective and our perspective and, and our approach, which was much more around, basically it was a trial period for us around, can we mix together clinical practice with a bit of playful movement, finding enjoyable ways to move, safe entries, making someone feel safe, giving someone optimism and support. And that was really the blur period of working and you know if you were to be a fly on the wall i definitely did some things because i was having to learn functional neurology stuff that i'd look at now and be like 
bloody hell, what was I talking there? But I can also see why I had to do it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that was, that was, that went on for nine months. I lasted in London for nine months before I rung my parents up and I said, you know, mum, I'm, uh, I hate to tell you, but I'm handing my resignation in. I can't stick this anymore. This is going to be a big problem if this continues. And I handed my resignation and I moved home the next week. And my parents supported me as they always have done. Uh, Paul handed his resignation in at the time as well. Then he went to make, um, he went to make fitness programs and become the director of fitness for a lot of celebrities that are based here in the UK. And then I came back to where I'm from in Wales. And um, my mum said to me in the car on the way back, you're coming back to your roots. And that was um, for me to take another six months out and just go back to being a labourer for my uncle's building company to just put my headphones on like this, listen to podcasts, try and wrestle with everything that happened on in the last nine months in London. And you know, tell my parents, my parents, I trust Luke, you're in 60,000 pounds of debt. You've been in university nine years. You can't just go back to being a laborer. But for me, it was a, it was a case of ignorance is bliss. I need to park this period. And I think that I can make this work in another way. And it's going to probably involve me starting up on my own. I don't have any money to do that. So I'm going to save up some money. I'm going to just go and work for my uncle for, for six months. And I, started a website in that time just to sort of park all the things that we were doing there, me and Paul were practicing and to, to start to create a website for when I was providing people with information when they were coming to me with back pain and I'd be providing them an alternative to what they'd maybe heard or been told was that I wasn't just me talking about it, that I had articles with all the references and everything written on it. So it started to build something that was a little bit more than just a conversation with Luke on the building site, who's stripping paint off the walls. <laughs> And it is the website what became Back to Roots. Yeah, that's exactly it. So if you were to look on the website now, it's still, it's in a process. It's, you know, the analogy of changing the bus, changing the wheels on the bus while it's driving is really the, what you know, it's really evolved um, in the past six years. But that was, if you look in the blogs, I made a, a, a I spent a year writing about diet articles and translating a lot of the Alan Aragon research. And, and it was really a place to park a lot of the ideas to do something with. Didn't know what I was going to do with it, but something. Can you talk a little bit about the, so like, you know, you were talking about people going in and they would go and do kind of like the, the traditional therapy and then they'd come over and, and basically like play with you. Yeah. And, and they, and they did your thing second because it left everyone feeling really kind of, yeah. They felt joy. They felt happy. They felt like there, exactly. there was something great. And part of that is like, you know, all the senses coming alive and hearing and seeing and all these things. But can you, in, in whatever way you can, either from your experience or any from research, just talk about the idea of like, you know, we have like these innate things that exist in us that like we often tend to like stigmatize, right? Like, we have like innate feelings of like joy and happiness. And we're almost like, well, that means that it wasn't like the serious work, but it's almost like coming to you and doing, doing that. It's like people subconsciously knew that there was like rich value in there because they were walking away feeling happy and satisfied. I mean, we have, 
everybody has, you'll have, I have, we all have our own sets of beliefs and things that have been put into us from our parents as we're growing up that influence our perspectives on things. And then we fill in different roles as we become the labor on the building site. Then we become the owner of the building site or we become, we, um, and then we're a parent and then we're a brother and we always have all these different roles. And so, so often once people become, particularly when people become adults, they, the whole time they are in the role of being the person that is serious, lots of responsibilities in charge. And a lot of these things that we then know, or we, I would now call looking at it from a clinical perspective would be psychosocial sensitizers. We've all got a cup. We've all got a metaphorical cup that would be what we're able to, to be able to have capacity to be able to tolerate. And that can change over time, but being a, and when that cup overfills, it's just, it's one metaphor of what could lead to our nervous system wanting to protect us a threat. And that could be the pain experience that leads you to go to the physio or the chiropractor and, you know, what really people have when, they, when they're asking to come in is, is they need reassurance. And once you can give someone reassurance, it really is an, an analgesic and, you know, you're in the right place or we need to get some assessments done to rule out sinister things. But, you know, 90 to 95% of back pain, this is a stat statistic that often blows patients' minds at least, you know, 90 to 95% of back pain is not serious pathology. It's not cancer. It's not infection. It's not, um, uh, not cancer infection. It's not something that would be a red flag. So what that then leaves us when we can rule that, rule that out is, you know, if back pain is not serious and why do we treat it so serious? And that really opens up the ability to be able to give someone the permission to let go or to be able to step into a new into a new space where they can maybe be a little bit silly and that may take time to build therapeutic alliance to get someone to that point but when you know you won't meet i'm sure as i know you work with people you, you won't meet people anyone who doesn't enjoy movement of some in some capacity some people and if you're working with a ceo of a big company in a in a, in a city you may be not going to get them crawling on the floor in the first session but there will be some form of movement that will just inherently feel good as you mm -hmm. sort of touched on there and being able to being able to create the space being able to be who that person needs that day is really what i have tried to do since then is being able to give people permission to experience movement in a way that they feel safe and i think that is inherently pleasurable especially when people have come to you with the concern and they're experiencing pain it makes me think about this thing that I thought a lot about the idea that happiness for everybody is, is very, very similar. Like the, the experience of it, the, the distance between what brings each person joy, it seems very, very close together and almost virtually the same thing at, at the core. And that yeah. the thing that people are kind of looking for, like, even with these things where it's like desiring kind of the, the def definitions and protocols for things that are not necessarily, you know, really serious injuries. It's just kind of like, um, you know, it, it's almost like the, the, the seeking for, for satisfaction, but like the thing that they might be looking for is, is closer to this, um, this thing that's kind of below our, 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 our identities that we all kind of exist in. And, and that's it, you know, and if there was, if there was a particular type of exercise that I, that I should give you with your back pain, Carl, when you've come to me, 
then you know I would I would I would want to tell you that I'd want to be able to see, shout from the rooftops. I've figured out. In fact, we've got some research at the moment that shows that Pilates seems to be a little bit superior to other things when it comes to back pain, but it's not probably not because of the fact that that's stabilizing the core. There's some other reasons why that could be the case, but the nuts and bolts is that from a um, from a from a back pain perspective, there is not one type of exercise that has been shown to be superior. There, and it's not strength training. It's not stretching these it ultimately is going to be a big component around what the person enjoys and can connect with and there's so many different ways to clinically reason what someone could find joy and pleasure in and it could be for example something as simple as a standing practice and if we can tie for somebody to be able to slow down and take five minutes out of their day to be you know in our class at the moment samantha is getting all of our healthcare professionals to be able to slow down and to be able to be present and to learn to just stand still, mm. you know, trying to clinically reason and being able to get somebody else to experience that who's coming to you because they want to take away the back pain exercise. They want to click their back pain away. You know, yet we we know that that's probably not going to be the, <laughs> the most bang for their buck in terms of helping them with back pain. So, you know, this, once we realize and we open up the Pandora around, there's individual preference and so much scope for what we could do for making a logical progressive program for somebody, you know, it opens up. And this is what I, this is really where, what liberated me was to be able to say, well, you know, I've learned so many different ways to be able to move in, for example, parkour that I bring in and I can clinically reason and wrap that up for balance training for someone who I'm working with, who's in the elderly, you know, there's so many ways that I learn in Capoeira of novel, fun ways to be able to explore, for example, bending and reactive movements to be able to then wrap that up for someone to get them towards experiencing thoughtless, fearless, relaxed movement, which mm -hmm. is one of the main things that we want to be able to return somebody to after either injury or pain. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I can't remember if I've answered your initial point there, but it's, um, yeah a lot of a lot a lot of scope for what we can do to give somebody a positive experience with movement and that is that is a goal and of and a clinical vehicle in and of itself when you and you also use this word you 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 referred to the person as like an individual and i don't know the way you were articulating it made me think of like really seeing somebody as opposed to kind of like seeing a paper that has a protocol on it right like 100%. really really seeing because i think of um a couple of people who I know who had surgeries, for instance, and they go to see a physical therapist, but the phys physical therapist can't actually do anything. They actually just have to do the protocol that's been handed to them from the surgeon. Exactly. And that's so, that's so often the case. And I don't, I'm not, and here, and again, this is where, this is where I don't, I don't bash the physio who would do that because I also appreciate the constraints and the limitations around working in a system that they are in this hierarchical hierarchical order where they're being told by a surgeon what to be able to do. And, you know, I'm not going to go in and tell, no, I've had a lot of surgery and I've got a good relationship with a lot of surgeons, but I'm not going to tell a surgeon how to be able to reattach my pec when I recently and most recently totally ruptured that off. Mm -hmm. But I'm also not going to have the surgeon tell me how to reload that and grade me back, grade that back to rehabilitation. The surgeon hasn't, they haven't been trained in that. They don't know how to do that. So how can they give what they're able to do is to say the tissue that has been worked on, there could be some evidence-based timelines that we don't want to stress that tissue. Mm -hmm. But when we can look at that then and say, you know, for example, when I ruptured my pec, 
you, you can put you can look on Google Scholar and you can print print out and find some frameworks around re- return to uh, return to to loading. But there's a huge scope if you're com- if you're comfortable with ways, different ways to be able to move and and, and to be able to load different things. That a, a trainer, most people, I think, a trainers are really well placed to be able to do this. Um, you know, I was doing handstands on their shoulder three weeks post surgery. So being able to have the capacity to be able to say, well, this is the framework that's in this paper, but there's no in this paper that says you should be doing a handstand three week surgery. That's an individual thing to me. Other people might say, bloody hell, what are you doing? That's, you can't be doing that three weeks post-surgery. But then when we look at the individual, for me, that's just like, well, that's, I was doing those all day every day before surgery. That's just, that's just normal for me. So it's, um, it's a really important thing. And that's where treating the person as an individual is so important. It's something that we teach and we try and get across with all of our students in the University of South Wales is to be able to create a plan, but be able to be aware that that plan goes often completely out the window. It was only in our class last week when me and Samantha Manuel was teaching in, in the internship and two of her, uh, one of her kids cut their hand and cut, the babysitter comes in shouting. So I had to say to the class, you know, so your plan goes out the window so often. And that's actually, I think, what we should expect. Mm. And we had Ben Cormack presenting on the internship this uh, last week, who was a previous mentor of mine on clinical reasoning, where he talks about so much of practice, and I believe also personal training and a movement practice is trial and error. And yeah, I mean, I was, I was just thinking, of, I mean, I, I've brought this up on here a few times, but the idea that like, um, you know, everything at the moment, like there, there are potential dollar signs out there. That's the moment to like codify and systematize it. Right. The problem is, is that like when people learn a a system, like they only know how to ride on that road. They don't know how to like blaze their own trails, you know, but the person who kind of like embodies like a value or a way or a mindset can, I mean, can can roll through. I'm rereading this at the moment. Have you, have you read this by Paolo Coelho? No, I read his other one though. What is it? The Alchemist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the alchemist was so central to my own journey around when I was in London and I was sort of felt like I was almost like the, the, the child in the alchemist that was looking for chasing the pyramids and the rat race, which is what that's all about. But everything I had was back where I'd come from. I just And I just needed to be able to shake it, go back there. But the pilgrimage is what I'm rereading now, which, which was written to accompany it, which is ultimately all about talking about every one of us has to be able to find our own path. And that's really what I try and set to it's difficult to to create a teaching process that is I think fighting monkey do this probably more than anyone but it's, it's, it's vague it's not it's not a do this then that then that then that it's there's a there's a there's a structure there's a there's there's a mind there's a body of information but there's so many ways that it could be interpreted and implemented and that is you know something that we get from some of the people in our internship is and our students is, oh, you know, this is it's really interesting. This is good stuff, but you know, how do I put it together? And it's like, that's part of the point is that there's, you have to figure that out. And I can give you these pieces and show you how I will do it, but you're not me. You don't have the same attributes as me. You don't have the same skill set, the same weaknesses. You have different things that mean that you will have to be able to bring this about in and, and, and bring this to life in your own way. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's, it's a 
interesting process rereading this because I'm looking at it through different eyes now and I'm still on that same process of trying to carve out my own path. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I admire that. And I, and I admire the kind of the steadfast approach of being like, I, I can't give you the wrapped present that has A, B, C, D, and then one, two, three. It's like, like it's there in a universe and yep. you have to like learn how to fly your ship through it. And it's almost like it just needs to, you have, tell you to what, just, you have to own it. It's a, it's in you. What is, what is so amazing is when you see people who do grasp that and run with it. And it's just amazing to see how they do contort things, build things, grow on things. And that is, that's a really amazing thing to see. And what was, you know, I used to take a lot of pleasure in, in, in looking at my own work and how I would build programs and, and things with people. And, and now I get as just as much, in fact, more from seeing other people and going through what, what we've tried to create in Back to Roots and, and seeing programs in Italy popping up and seeing chiropractors and physios bringing fighting monkey and dance and parkour and all these things into making rehabilitation fun. And, you know, that's, that is really amazing when you see people connecting the dots and running with it. That is, that is really cool. Yeah. Well, the, that is beautiful. I realize the, the, the issue, because I've, I've been in these situations where people really want the like, they want the really tangible, like put it in my hand, tell me how to do it. It's um, mm-hmm. it's it's the world of like being focused on content and not on message, right? It's a uh, I've always found that like oh, the places and the teachers who have a strong message, and if I have a strong message, the content will fill in on its own because it's already in you, in some way. Yeah. You know, it's a uh, it's it's finding like the the message that that content can be a vehicle for. Hundred percent, and I mean. So much of working with, with, with people and in, in a contemporary evidence-based approach, you know, where we appreciate the psychosocial component as, as much as the biomedical one. You know, one of the biggest things that, that I will want to do, and this is what I, uh, I, I took this from Jeremy Lewis, who is a, a world leader in, in, in the shoulder, um, is to create a process where you surpass someone's expectations of themselves. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that, that is an, a, an experiential learning process where someone will challenge maybe their own beliefs around the fact that they are a certain age and they've been told that you shouldn't do this. But yet you're able to safely find an entry and guide them to the point where they pers- they themselves say, bloody hell, I just, I just got off the floor with one leg. <laughs> or I, I can't believe I'm able to hold my whole body weight hanging. And things that give people an experience that, surpasses their expectations and that's that is a goal in of itself that i set with our students is to, you know how are you going to do that i can't tell you exactly how to do that we can look at all these different things but when you're working with a person you know you're going to be able to need to, to have build up therapeutic alliance have a conversation find out what their beliefs are find out what everything what a thorough history to be able to figure out right what process am i going to put together here to surpass this person's expectations of themselves because mm-hmm. often, because often people will have had, they'll have had things that they're told that they shouldn't do. They'll have had scans that say that they've got degeneration, they've got wear and tear. I've, look, I've got an MRI that shows me that I've got a torn rotator cuff. I've got, you know, a de- bulging disc. I shouldn't be bending down and picking things up. Certainly not with a really without being in a really straight spine. Yet being able to give someone an experience to surpass that is. You know, that has to be a trial and error problem solving process that, that, that is going to get somebody to that point. And an experience that happens today, right? Yeah. It's like, there's so many of the things where it's like, oh, like 
well, you didn't, you didn't do this. So now you're in this situation. And then if you do these other things, maybe tomorrow you'll be able to do something, but you're talking about like within all that, yeah, there's an experience that each person can have today that shows them they can, they can do that right now you have, you have tools and you can play and you can, and surprise yourself in ways with those things. Like you don't, you know, if you, yeah, and I mean, yeah. And it, and, it, and it might be today or it might be in the back of your mind. So, so, so you're telling me that you've been told that you, it's probably not a good idea to run again because of the injury to your knee, because of the scan showing. So I'm, I'm maybe not going to try and violate that with you in this session today, but yet the things I might send you a research paper, I might start priming and sowing seeds that at some point over this time working together, we're going to get you to be able to challenge that belief yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's, and that's, that's an art. And that's what I'm interested in when I work with different people, when I learn, I'm always learning from different coaches, different researchers at any given time is, is the art of how they go about piecing all of these things together to work with a person, because that's, you know, it's always going to be something that is more of an art than a science is being able to see how people do that. How does Kyle take people in his sessions in the park? I can see the drills. I can see the progressions and the regressions, but how is he getting engagement from the group? How is he communicating? How is he adapting when things go wrong? You know, that, that, that artist art of delivery is something that I'm really, I'm, I'm always fascinated by seeing and learning how people do that. Mm-hmm. Tell me, so just to backtrack, because I'm, I'm super interested in this story now. So you set up the website back to roots, right? Yep. Um, what were kind of the big leaps from there that, that, led it to where it's at today and and you know what it's now led to like this this things like the internship and things and all these you know i mean i've talked to so many people in the movement sphere who are saying like oh i i i'm i'm doing the back to roots internship or i i i just did it and i mean you know a a broad a broad range of people um who have been drawn into it so I'm, i'm super curious how it got to there i mean it was a big decision for me to quit my job as a chiropractor in London and, you know, pick your parents wisely because my parents have afforded me the opportunity to do things that other people wouldn't have been able to. They just give me unconditional permission to do what makes me happy. And that then almost gave me the confidence and the trust to be able to say, right, I haven't got it now, but I'm going to start building something. And the website was the starting point where then I connected with a person who was proficient in all things. You know, I spoke with a friend and he said, right, Luke, you, you look and start a website. You're a chiropractor. You don't know how to run a business. You don't know all of these different things about marketing, all this different stuff. You need to see this guy. And he then was someone I went and had a, cafe, a cup of tea with and said, yeah, this is where I'm at. Told him about my experience in London, about what I wanted to do, how I met Paul in London, previous other mentor whilst I was go through college was Reese Shawnee. Um, Team GB physio, big influence of mine when I was player. He was my physio and basically got to the point where I had to get a website and I had to plug a lot of the, the areas of where I was and still am so desperately inept in what my qualities are and find the people to be able to do things better than me in all of those areas. And what, what we did was then I had Paul, I had Reese, and then I had this chap who's 
a director now back to roots in all the business side of stuff to do with graphic design you know getting the website off the ground the business plan being able to do learn how to do tax and all those things you just don't get taught when you're learning to become a you know a trainer or a healthcare professional and that enabled me then to have a little connection of people who were who who were important for me they were inspirations for me at this time I was only 25 and um, these guys were all 10 plus years older than me so these guys all had a lot of wisdom that was able to channel through me getting back to roots up and we come up with this agreement for them to be involved and it was all done on a trust basis because it was on my word there was no you know they become directors but they didn't put in capital or anything like this they give in time and and me and Paul would just start are you familiar with Paul no. So Paul McCambridge, he's um yeah, he's 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 a really, really amazing chap. He's someone who um yeah, he 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 opened the Pandora box for me with all of these different different ways to be able to move. And he's really the big man in research now. And we would be putting on some CPD events where we would just say, right, we just need to these things that we're talking about, just like this, we need to open it up for people to come and be able to chat about them, things about pain and play. So we would start doing that and we'd have a small, we'd have some small little um, events that we just promote through Facebook and we would just wing it to be able to share our ideas with a few different people. And at this point then, Paul was still down in London. I was as a builder and I was working in mid Wales. I'd quit as a chiropractor. I had to get myself back up. And so I marketed myself as Luke R. Davis, chiropractor, fitness place. So many facets as to how I had to try and set expectations that I'm interested in movement, but I'm also clinical. And, you know, the, the, the chiropractor fitness play was definitely inspired by Rafe Kelly and his Evolve Move play at the time and trying to bring all these to life. And, after a period of time of just doing our CPDs, then I started and I working on my own now. So people will come in to me and I would be meeting people in their house, in car parks and just creating, selling 12 weeks of time with me, mm-hmm. getting people to ultimately buy into a problem solving process. I would be able to say there's different things that will be in it, pain education. I'll be able to do an assessment. There'll be movement, great exposure, strength work, novel movement. There'll be some some play maybe we might, might do some games and things and make that make sense as we go along the way and this sort of led to more presenting gigs starting to come because people were seeing that we were sharing what we're doing on social media and we were able to defend what we're doing with with research and not just to chiropractic anyone to do with physio anyone to do with medicine anyone to, anyone to do with evidence-based approach to musculoskeletal rehabilitation and people were becoming interested because we were bringing in then some of the things that I'd exposed myself to in going to workshops to learn how to t- climb trees, learning how to go and, and do parkour, being able to go climbing, going to Jamaican dance hall classes and bringing these in to make rehabilitation look a little bit funky, mm-hmm. looking a little bit interesting that grabs people. Oh, bloody hell, what the, hell, what the hell is that about? He's got a person with back pain who's doing spinal waves. You know, so all of a sudden then we were able to defend it. So then I had a TED talk that I was invited to go over and do in Budapest, which was all about, do you know what TED talks are? Mm-hmm. Which is where you do a presentation in an emporium and you have you know, 15 minutes, which was, I had a presentation then around um, playing around. And I linked that and sent that over to you to be able to check that out. But that was 
the start of different things that we were doing. And then in this time, then the University of South Wales invited us back to start upgrading the curriculum in the University of South Wales, the one that I went through, mm-hmm. which was just such a crazy move at the time because I graduated so unhappy with my education because everything that I'm doing in Back to Roots and we're doing, you know, I've not learned that through my training. Mm-hmm. Yet that then two years after graduating, me and Paul went back in then to start doing some guest lecturing to upgrade the, you know, the, the, the chiropractic course there. They have the, four, the final year is where the students are actually with real patients. That's obviously a big step. I can't remember if you cast your mind back to when you first were with real people, it was really real big transition in your life. Um, I remember how anxious it made me, but then there's clinical tutors. So we were brought in and this was in 2018 at the start of 2018. So then all of a sudden we were starting to be brought back in because we, me and Paul both left chiropractic, but then our chiropractic course is saying, oh, hang on, you guys, what you're doing there. That seems to be what people are saying and where we need to, we need you guys to come in and start and start overhauling the curriculum. So it was my contact through um, the fact that I studied there, mm-hmm. that they brought us in there and I forward on five years and Paul is now the head of the entire course. And I, and I run, so when we first come in and we've got the final years and we're teaching and we're basically in a nutshell saying everything you've been taught and you spent 50 grand on, probably not, probably, probably worthless in terms of look at all this research that directly critiques and, and rips apart so much of this very linear approach and very passive approach. Mm-hmm very difficult for the students, very difficult for everybody. But what we're now at is that when people come into year one, we've been able to shape and build through Paul and he brings me in that we have had an enormous impact on the entire of the University of South Wales from year one all the way through to year four. So that was a big, that's been a big part is getting into an influence in an academic curriculum. So now every chiropractor that graduates out of Wales and um, they have to go through our teaching and they have to be able to do that with real patients. And that is, you know, that's been so uh, challenging on so many levels to be able to make changes on an institutional level. Well, that's what I was but, just about to ask about, because I don't know. I mean, there, there must be a lot of roadblocks that pop up with, you know, teachers who have been there for a long time and have their kind of rigidity in their ways to what students are kind of expecting and what they are paying for and, you know, especially then, you know, people start to look around and they're like, well, why is this happening here? And it's not happening in all these other places in the world. I mean, it, it's, it's impressive that, that you guys have found that space and it's being received in, in, in this way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, picture this two years after I graduated, you're one of, you're the, one of the senior tutors who was in charge of me and had to sign off what I'm going to do with my patient. And you were telling me that I can't be doing movement. I need to be doing manipulation. Mm-hmm. Two years later, two years later, I'm back and I'm now showing them what we're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they're, they're a lot old. They're older than me. They've had 15 plus years more experience, difficult situation, but that was then the start of a, of a wave of slowly trying to just make little changes towards trying to bring that curriculum up to what we would describe as the leading in the world for delivering a contemporary evidence-based approach. And that's something then that 
even people like Craig Liebenson. Have you heard of Craig Liebenson? No. So he's a, he's a, he's a leading author of, uh, he's got a book called Rehabilitation of the Spine. He's from America. Every physio and chiropractor who goes to, to, goes to school will have to study these books. And then all of a sudden he's making a big U-turn around moving away from corrective exercise to being able to work with people in this very constraint-based emergence and problem-solving way. And then he is talking about, you know, the, the, the University of South Wales, what Paul and Luke are doing over in that school is the leading in the school in the world. It's the only place where you can go and to be able to have this type of education in bringing these things in. So all of these things start then people are people are becoming more aware around the things that we're that we're trying to do. And at the same time, we're delivering our CPDs that are getting a little bit bigger. The, the guy, there's a there's a group in, in in Australia called the Knowledge Exchange, really sharp guys. They're exercise physiologists, but they they got us out there to do an Australian tour in 2019 before the pandemic. And and these things were all happening. And then the pandemic happens, which boom, closes down the university, closes down my practice. And that was obviously the same for everybody, um, an incredibly challenging time. And I don't think any business can come out of the pandemic the same as it went in. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was time to be able to sit back, to be able to look at all the things that we've tried, all the things we've done, things that have worked, so many things we've done that didn't work. And then it was through uh, conversations with people just like yourself, like this, where me and Samantha Manuel, who was who was someone that I was just doing some of her softness training, some of the, she's got one, she had a 102 program with John Nguyen, and then said, hey, why don't we put on a process where she can lead a, a 12 week, uh, a 12 week movement education. So physical education for healthcare professionals, it's something that is incredibly lacking. A lot of people just have it as, as, an, as an assumption. People in the training space, moving all the time but a lot of people who are becoming physios chiropractors we've got a lot of research that shows that they don't they we don't even hit physical activity guidelines never mind us prescribing it mm-hmm. so if we could make a process a process where we put an hour class on per week with samantha manuel that would be all around being able to use problem solving very limited space and access so not lot, lot, lots of fancy kit and and that was something then like I could tie my university academic curriculum. So what I did through the pandemic was I recorded all of my lectures that I was forced to go online mm-hmm. and I retained the, the rights to be able to do that. So I stayed as back to roots, not as employed in the university mm-hmm. and just brought all of this together then to be able to create a 12 week process to marry up anybody who wants to be able to bring to life an evidence-based holistic program with the patients that they work with and so what we've what we've attracted then is and this this was something that i was very passionate about because you can make you know information now especially with the pandemic there is access to information more than we've ever had before that's not the problem it's knowing what to do with it and how to funnel it how to channel it and how to be able to do something with it so 
We've got a lot of pre-recorded, you know, I'm with British Journal of Sports Medicine certified. So again, take my title as a chiropractor out of it. We're the only chiropractors in the world that are BJSM certified of the content that people go through as being the stamp of evidence-based. So again, that's that's what I prefer people to judge. And I judge people by what they do rather than their letters after their name or, you know, whether you're a trainer, whether you're a chiropractor, a medical doctor is, you know, what you do. And so the BJSM is something that gives people the, you know, that this is, this has been this has been scrutinized and people have you know this is what a lot this is what the current best practice is saying that we can be doing in moving mm-hmm. forward so being able to have that curriculum which has got great value for trainers because often they haven't been through university mm-hmm. now you know also that, that, from everything we've just, just just talked about you know i would probably advise you know like elon musk he says you don't need to go to university so i don't put enormous value on that. Although what it did enable me to do is create all of my lectures pre-recorded to be able to guide someone to be able to work through. And then what we have created is the, the live component each week where through all of my connections in the last 10 years, I've invited people to who have influenced back to roots and been a part of me building on the shoulders of what they've done. And as I said, they're the people who start up initially, they're all 10, 15 years older than me. So it's just, I'm again, when I'm going and I'm meeting people, I'm back to roots and I'm 26 years old. It's like, well, that's not just me. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to get what I figured was, you know, what was so valuable to me as I reconceptualized was my early mentors of Reese, the physio, as I went through as a chiropractor, as Paul, the guy with the play and the movement, and then of Elwin, the person who is everything small business that I had no idea about, of then of the people that I trained under, so John Ewen, Marla Fiskin, Samantha Emanuel, of Jeremy Fine, of the people that I trained with in the strength world. So one of my current people I'm working with, Gavin Bilton, who's on his road to become the world's strongest man, to be able to work with Ronnie Lennox Thompson, who is a you know leading researcher in whole person clinical reasoning out of New Zealand, Adam Meekins, Ben Cormack, massive names on online to be able to say, hang on, how can I make a process where all of the students get not to listen to me, but to the people who have influenced me? Mm. So what I think what if I was to be able to blow my own trumpet in some way around what we've done with the internship because both seasons sold out and I think we probably could have taken more people on if we wanted to but we decided not to take more than 30 per season uh, is the fact that I, I've got the students and everybody going through it being exposed to the people who are better than me at everything <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. and I think that's that's what is so including research movement small business every component that it is to be able to create your alternative to whether you're frustrated with being a physio frustrated with being a chiro frustrated with being a trainer to be able to package up and actually have the opportunity if you wanted to join the dots yourself together and run with it because you won't come out of it with here's your here's your business go and just cash the check in you will have everything that we and i've been exposed to to be able to make opportunities for yourself and to be able to learn how to be able to run your own business. So I admire the, um, I don't know, I guess the word is the, the humility in the sense where it's like, I'm going to like pass the mic off to all these other people to, to present and share and express and, and, and talk about the things. Um, because that's not often seen. I think that, that, you know, 
it's it's often just like a figurehead or something who wants to kind of own the space. So I, I admire that you're like, oh, I'm I really want to like let these people present and and, and kind of embodying the um, the and that we were talking about in the beginning. It's like this and that and this person and that person and and this idea and that concept. Yeah, and that, and that that's really what I what I feel has worked so well with having such an incredible roster of people coming through in addition to the pre-recorded material that we've that, that you know that i've built so when people if you would go through it you'd see a lot of the pre all the pre-recorded stuff is with me but then really a lot of we've got a platform we use the mighty network to be able to facilitate community i think community is really important with anything um to be able to thrive and ultimately drive itself is um is it's is, it's the win-win which is where you know for each of the people that's coming on they are coming on to be able to share their skill set that has influenced me Mm-hmm. And they're providing, they are providing a skill set that's superior to mine. So it brings value to the internship. It brings incredible value to anybody who is fortunate enough to go through it. And I feel confident enough to say that if, if, if someone was to go, if I was to go through the internship, it would have saved me the last 10 years. But then maybe that, def- that defeats the whole concept of what the last 10 years had to be about. So exactly. So what, what happens next? I mean, are they're going to start, I mean, as I mean, obviously like the world is still, you know, figuring out how like the dust is going to settle here, but as things, you know, open up and people can travel and, and, and then you can travel, do you think that you'll start to begin to do more in-person events with back to roots or are you, are you, are you looking to kind of keep building up the, um, the online presence that you've been developing? Yeah. I mean, the, I've not left Wales since 2019 now. I mean, it's, it's quite remarkable because in the year of 2019, we did Everest Base Camp toward Australia. We're in Scandinavia. Like, I am, I'm really looking forward to being able to travel again myself and being able to be in person. So we are already set up to be doing our two-day CPD. So we still do those. And basically anybody who, who is able to facilitate us, we come to. So we're doing our two-day in Ghent in Belgium on the first weekend of June, we're doing Verona in Italy um, with a gentleman called Giovanni who's gone through the internship, who's just like, right, I need to influence my community and the trainers and everyone to all be speaking this language. So he brings us in for two days and what we plan on is be able to support and facilitate um, that he carries on driving that there. And I am open then to being able to explore whatever opportunities and avenues come up. We're committed to internship starting September again as a third season. So that will be again running, but it doesn't matter. I could be over in America and the internship as far as that goes, isn't affected. So that's that side of things. I'm really optimistic that the internship is something that builds each year and evolves as it as it needs to and Mm -hmm. i you know i'd love to potentially you know be maybe just me just coming in as one of the guests rather through the live weeks as opposed to and and some of the students and some of the people that are involved being able to really pick up the responsibility and drive it um that's that's one idea i am really interested in so we a mentor so people who want more time with me after internship to be able to support them in doing these things. I really enjoy that. I enjoy more immersive with less people. That's the way I've always worked. Even when I was in practice with patients, I would only ever see 20 
25 clients a week was the most I ever saw, but that was really intense. That was very tiring. Um, the way that I work. So I don't envisage me going back into practice that to that extent, but I do love traveling and, you know, I'm climbing Mont Blanc in June. So living the lifestyle, I think that gives, um, gives authenticity to the message that we are trying to deliver in, in back to roots. And that's, that's really me on my own pilgrimage then moving forward is whatever opportunities come, we will look at it. And if it's, if it's something that we can make happen, that's really the essence of how we've got to this point. And with the, the kind of the spotlight you've received from like the academic community, do you see opportunities arising where you'll be able to, you know, infiltrate more schools? It's funny you say that because, because starting next year, you know, we've infiltrated in the University of South Wales, the chiropractic course. Mm-hmm. My other mentor, who is a physio, again, this, you're over in America, this sounds like you know, maybe a little bit abstract, but my, my mentor was a physio who's also another director of Back to Roots. He is now starting up a, the, physio, the physiotherapy course within our university as well. So we're going to have the Back to Roots directors that are in charge of the physio course and the chiro course of the same university. So that's quite quite a bizarre way that that, that has worked out. Um, so we do some CPDs in other universities in, in Ghent. And you know, really the challenge of getting into, into universities is is it's the old Adam or adage mm-hmm. of who you know. You have to know the right people. And it's 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 that's the way that you get in to be able to have the reins to be able to change things. So um I don't envisage taking over all of the all of the schools in the world, but I'm open again. To, if someone if someone wants to make change and they uh, and they really want to make change, then it could be it could be something that is looked at. Well, you're definitely somebody to to reach out to because you know it's not just somebody with a with an idea or or an idea that a lot of people support, but it's it's been integrated into into the education setting, and it's being shown to work have value influence so like i would i would love mm-hmm. one of the i would love where we see people is as adults that are having these problems i would love and it ties so beautifully to the whole concept and brand of back to roots would be to be able to have an education that goes like way back to be pe in schools and actually way back before that so that you have this whole you know, I, th- I think that physical education in school, it's where I thrived. It's where I was best. So I, maybe I'm biased, but I'm now able to argue that from a public health perspective and people's first experience with exercise and movement sets people up for life way beyond school. So I actually can quite strongly argue now that I think that PE in schools is something that is probably the gatekeeper to healthcare, not the medical doctor for how we set people's relationships up for, for life moving forward. So, you know, uh, that is, that is something that I would love to have is like the back to root school that brings in all the things that, you know, I, I imagine like the PE teacher bringing in parkour and bringing all these different things in to be able to expose people to fun ways to be able to move. Um, Maybe that's a pipe dream, but that would be something super cool in my lifetime to see. Man, I mean, I think that there's there's a lot of things percolating. I feel like a lot of people are talking about similar things. I just realized that, you know, with the structures and systems that exist, they're hard to like find the cracks to squeeze into. Yeah. Um, 
but over time, I think they're the things that are that 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 matter and that address maybe some of these bigger questions. You know what I mean? Even I'll, I'll when comes, sorry, I'll, go ahead. Some, something that I, I mentioned his name before, but some something that I'm I am interested in, as again is 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 when you have systems and you have infrastructures and they they're designed to stay the way they are. It's not convenient for those things to change, uh, especially in institutes, etc. So I, I'm inspired by people who do look at that and then they they create an alternative so i look at elon musk as someone i'm really interested in the way if have you ever looked at his school that he's made no so he's made for his kids while he's working on spacex he made a an education for his kids to go through that was to set them up not through the education system that's based on exams based on these things that's all based on critical thinking it's mm-hmm. all based on problem solving and it's all done through play. But as you can imagine with Elon Musk, it's a lot of it's digital play. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it's online, but the whole concept, I mean, the barriers to things like this is, is the expense. You know, it, it's, it's so, I think it's so clever what he's done. It's a, it's an education system that is not based on exams. It's not mm-hmm. based on how good you are. It's based on critical thinking, which is what is the absolute, the absolute fundamental for being able to be, fluid and nimble to be able to to be self-employed for example Mm -hmm. and actually set you up for all of the things that actually happen in life and that's that's something that i'm again i'm interested i'd love to go through it but the the cost implication of these things is also a big barrier well i mean that's always the big thing with like you know alternative schools that there's that they're unbelievably expensive i read this book by um sir ken robinson you know who he is no he he did uh, oh sir sir ken sir ken i thought i thought sir sir ken was his name no sir i've heard of i've heard of sir ken robinson yeah yeah and he wrote he wrote a number of books and one of the ones i read on creativity and he's you know at the end obviously talking about a lot of these schools that are challenging the status quo like the blue man group school and montessori schools and things like that and you know obviously the big thing is that it's like you know a five-year-old or a six-year-old is is, it's costing them fifty thousand dollars a year to get connected with this and that's the big tragedy because you know we all benefit when people are are creative and when they know how to communicate right and you know a lot of these things they're actually making them just kind of from my perspective um rigid and competitive yeah and you know these are great limitations that end up i think limiting all of us yeah so i mean i've just looked at some of the things from the outside i'd love to go through it but you know, so the examples of of the of the situations that are in this education that I've seen in one video is that there's a, a this is for like five or six year olds, but there's a flood that's in the town. Is the is the flood because of the the plumber that has not done this correctly? Is the flood because the architect didn't design the road correctly? Is the and ultimately there's lots of right answers. There's no correct, there's no one answer. And it's a, it's a way of trying to shift the teaching approach, and which is how I try and work with a constraints-led approach to harness self-organization, which mm-hmm. is based on all of these things around chaos and dynamic systems theory, you know, but taken right back to how do we change an education institute to be able to facilitate critical thinking as opposed to this is a maths equation and it has a right answer. This is a squat and it has a right way to move. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's a big paradigm shift. And I don't know, I don't know if that's uh, if that's possible. But you, you know, you look at people like Elon Musk, who's tried to do something as an alternative, and that again, that that does inspire me and and gives me, you know, it gets my mind thinking around. You know, I don't have kids, but if I was, to how would how would I do it from from scratch? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I mean, it's a real kind of 
seismic change culturally and societally to basically say like, rather than trying to have education that generates certainty, what if we have education that prepares us for uncertainty? And that's exactly, um, that is where, (laughs) that's, that's where we're at now with, you know, we've got the most uncertain students that are coming through from us because we're giving them, we're giving them the, we're exposing them to the uncertain evidence base. And it's Mm -hmm. not nice. It's not nice because it's, it doesn't have that, as you said, that this is how you do it. But this is, this is where taking that right back to being able to deal with uncertainty is something that is difficult and some people will embrace it and, and others won't. And I think there's a, there is a skill to being able to, to be liberated by that, to be able to explore different options rather than being paralyzed. And that's something that we try and do with our students is because I, I appreciate that it's not nice having uncertainty and yeah. uncertain all the time. Um, but it's the maybe less wrong answer. And that's <laughs> mm-hmm. right. Right. I mean, it's like um, oftentimes certainty is just an illusion. Right. And, and, you know, the more options we have, the more prepared we are for, for the, all the, all the uncertainty that's inevitable. And it's, you know, with these, these approaches that you're talking about, it's like, it's really the create the creation of more options, more yeah, stories. And yeah, exactly. And that, and that is the, you know, that is the definition of adaptability is the multiple options to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, movement variability it is the ability to do the same to repetition without repetition how many times can you do this this end goal but in different ways and i think that you could that's that is why i think tied back to what we talked about what i took from really changing my movement focus i had five years shifting towards things that was very much failure based mm-hmm. was this being able to deal with failure uncertainty and a resilience that I think then carries across to business. It carries across to relationships. It carries across to other things. Everything. It's all, it's all transferable. This is something I was trying to say to somebody once about creativity. I was like, you know, I I was teaching a movement class and I was saying, you know, we're exploring something and I mentioned creativity. We started having a conversation. I was like, you know, I think creativity is a transferable skill. It's not limited to what we're doing here in this place right now right? Like we can explore this here and in ways that I can't articulate or explain or tell you exactly when or how, but it, it's all happening. We're not compartmentalized. It's all a threat. So much, again, it's been, it's so fresh for me reading this again now, because it's all about a person who's trying to get to the end goal and forgetting about the process. And this, the guy takes him through and there's a series of tasks that is all about cultivating creativity from nothing as simple as having an exercise where you drip water onto the table here and then you have a set period of time to just play with the the shapes of the water and just not having an expectation about what comes out of it, not being able to be like, right, how much longer have I got to do this? But these are the sorts of things that is uh, Paolo Coelho's guide would have him do in the process of shifting him towards getting away from the end goal and being more in the moment and being, and being uh, creative with um, with being present, and that's you know that's something that I think I I again have to keep drawing myself to when I'm pulled into business and all these things. Life gets in a spin, and again, you can see how how, how easily it happens. Yeah, well, it's seductive. You know, it's like we're we're surrounded by it, and it's happening all the time. And 
especially as you said, like kind of in, in business and also like the structures of, of government and our economies and things. It's like, oh, there's like these things that it's like, you kind of still have to, I don't know, you're chained to certain things in some ways. Yeah, um, sure. I had this conversation with somebody as well because they're asking a little bit about like how I practice and do I get kind of lured into like goals and achievements and things like that. And, and I was like, yeah, it's, 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 it's a very seductive thing, but I often think of it as like, you know, if I, if I find myself creating a goal, what does it look like if it's, if it's not the aim, but actually the goal is actually more like a constraint to facilitate surprise yeah. or facilitate a discovery. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's something that I have been able to embrace in it and also have found that I need sometimes a goal mm -hmm. to be able to, and it's been able to have that, that, that sort of paradox of both of those about doing st some stuff just for let myself do it and be in the moment, but also other things that is, you know, it's just, a, it's just something I've had to learn about myself is, um, is having the goal that what I'm doing is working towards something. And that's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's the, it's the trade-off. And I try and get a balance between the two. And I try and at least when I'm working with somebody, expose them to both types of perspectives. Mm -hmm. Always an and not an or. Yeah, exactly. Um, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way? I mean, the, the, the Back to Roots website is evolving and that's, uh, but it's www.backtoroots.community. Some websites and, and, and um, things don't accept .community, but that is the correct website. Um, Luke uh, underscore B2R is my Instagram. It's where we share most things through um through the internship and I generally share a little bit of stuff around what I do with training and research and we have something where every, we have a back to roots page actually be to our underscore internship where everybody is sharing stuff that is um, a great place for people to look at the things that we're up to I mean anyone who wants to dive a bit deeper or chat about anything stuff here my email is luke at back to roots.community and uh, and, I, and I'm always happy to be able to, you know, I always remember one of my, um, one of my biggest early inspirations was and is Robert Sapolsky. Are you familiar with Robert Sapolsky? I can proudly say I finished Behave. <laughs> I read, it took me about a year to read that. Oh one. my God. It is like, oh, that is a, that is an academic trek. But that's one of the, again, one, through the internship, people are like asking for reading, et cetera. And I'm like, right, well, if you, if you, if you really run that stuff, then you move on to behave. Um, <laughs> but Robert Sapolsky is someone who's really inspired me. When I say that, and I, I moved back from London and I, and I just put my headphones on and I just was scraping paint off the walls. I was just listening to Robert Sapolsky's Stanford lectures, which are all still on YouTube. And I listened to them four times. There's about 30 hours of teaching it. And I listened to it over because he just blows my mind. And I remember email at, a at the time I was going through some problems with, with a relationship, with trying to figure out what was best for me to be able to um, do with a relationship that just wasn't really working out. And, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I emailed uh, Robert Sapolsky um, to, because I just read his chapter. Chapter 13 from Behave is, um, is called Doing the Right Thing 
in brackets when you figure out what that is. And and I wrote him about my, my situation to be able to um, to be able to get his perspective around why I thought we had different perspectives on certain things, and you know what's the right thing to do here. And and I was, it was just like me sort of musing. I never expected him to get back to me, but he 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 was he repl- replied, and he was we had a bit of an email conversation conversation for a bit, and and it always reminds me now when I'm a lecturer in university, which feels almost bizarre. Um, that I would like to make myself also available if anyone wants to contact me via email. So um, yeah, Luke at backtoroots.community. I appreciate that. I, um, I'm similar with people. If people write me, I, I, I write back and I like having the conversations as well. And I'm, and I don't send two lines. I'm like, yeah. I might even write more than anyone wants to read anyway, but I'm like, Oh, well, this, yeah. I, I, mean, I, I think, I think, I think it, I think it matters. I think kind of when, when part of your message is communication, which I think both of ours is, and is, it's like, it would be ironic to write back one sentence. Yeah, exactly. And that's, um, yeah, it, it just, it ties back again to the, the whole authenticity thing. And that's, you know, sometimes if people write in the, in, in, in the direct messages in social media, such things can get lost, but email things shouldn't, shouldn't get lost. So yeah. yeah hit, hit, hit me up there. If there's, if there's, um, if there's anything that people want to follow up or, or the internship, which is where all of my attention is now is, um, is on the website. And that is, uh, there's places open now for sign up in September. So 